This is The Conversation on member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Bill Dorman. It is opening day for the state legislature and a session that will last until May. While lawmakers and journalists, including some of HPR's own, are gathered at the state capitol this morning, so are a lot of other folks. Winnie Baskis said she's a lobbyist from Lanai, and she attends the opening day of the legislature every year. When HPR's Ashley Mizuo asked what she wants to see at the legislature, Winnie said, good government. The government is not doing the job what it's supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? They're doing something, but they do something else. They're looking for money to do their own project. And it's not how. You have to get the community involved in this. They're not doing it like that. We put the senators, legislators into the office to do the job for us, not for them. Aloha, my name is Alopa Ikaulia. I'm from the Big Island of Hawaii. The main purpose why I'm here today is to represent the students of Hawaii Community College, both Monono Campus and Palamanui Campus. Um, we're here to get solutions to our problems. Some of the problems that we're seeing is sustainability on campus and in the state, affordability of college, homelessness, and turning UHA storms, allowing them to not buy meal plans because what is happening is they are automatically being charged for meal plans when some of them already have a SNAP program in place. Um, I'm also here on behalf of a Hawaiian language teacher so that our language continues to live on. There are so much issues that are happening here in Hawaii, so I am here to learn more about the Hawaii Rising. I am here to figure out what is their political stance and all the different things, but I believe that their Aloha Aina and all of their stances that they stood up for so far aligns with what I am trying to do here as well. This is my first time here at the state capitol. This is the first time with me interacting on a political level. Um, I'm really interested in what is happening around me and hearing what is happening and hearing all these different issues that people are here for, even the opposing side for what is happening uh, or what I'm speaking on behalf of. And I am seeing a lot of people that I'm familiar with, so it, it's really comfortable to be here today. Some of, some of the voices outside the legislature this morning on a drizzly opening day. HPR government reporter Ryan Finity is also down at the Capitol this morning and is actually in the session right now. But before he left, we talked about some of the issues that lawmakers are likely to be dealing with this session, starting with something that's not common, some shared goals and some specifics involving lawmakers and the governor. Yesterday afternoon, uh, the leaders of the House, the Senate, and Governor David Ige got together and announced that they are issuing a joint legislative package covering uh, areas kind of dealing with some of the socioeconomic problems in Hawaii. They categorized it into three areas, income equality, housing, and early childhood education. Um, up until this point, there really wasn't a unifying issue that many of the, the parties involved, the governor, the lawmakers, had agreed that this is what we're going to work on this session. Mm. In, in years past, we have had something like that, whether it was rail funding or homelessness or something like that. There really wasn't that kind of unifying, unifying theme. theme. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but late yesterday, uh, the, that announcement was made. Uh, about a dozen or so lawmakers and the governor, several nonprofit representatives all got together to kind of unveil this package. And as I said, it targets three areas, income equality. Um, uh, that's mostly focused on 
tax credits, tax cuts for low-income residents, uh, $75 million in tax cuts, uh, mostly coming in the form of credits. So this is something you get back when you file your taxes. Um, the earned income tax credit will get uh, an expansion to a cash refund, also uh, expanding the food excise tax credit, so basically exempting food uh, from the, the general excise tax up to a certain point. Uh, and that's supposed to affect up to 220,000 people statewide is what some of the lawmakers said. Uh, also, a, a modest increase in the minimum wage. Uh, it would go up to $11 an hour in 2021 and then $13 an hour in 2024. So a little bit less than what had been pushed for last year, the $15 an hour. Mm. Um, but that, that $15 an hour kind of stumbled right at the end of the session last year. Um, all of these proposals have ostensibly the support of both houses, the leadership in both houses, and the governor. So we may see that go through this year. It's interesting on this one in particular because the minimum wage is, you know, always such a political football. And you're going to be hearing from a lot of folks. I imagine that, wait a minute, this is not nearly enough. And then, you know, you, you, you Chamber of Commerce, of course, leading the, the other side of this in terms of pushback on any increase in minimum wage. Wage, but this sets up a discussion, too. Yeah, that's one of those issues. Everybody's got an economist who will support right. their stance on it. Um, but in, in years past or in other situations, uh, opponents might have a lot, might even have the advantage in defeating a bill like this. It seems like sort of the wind is at the back of the people who are supporting this proposal because there is such broad consensus about addressing these issues. Consensus was the word one lawmaker used. And as you mentioned, uh, on to other issues that have been contentious in the past, but uh, housing. Housing, yeah, I mean, a big one. Everybody knows housing is an issue. This one does, it's pretty wonky, some of the things. Um, there's some, some simple stuff up front, uh, about $200 million in bond funding to expand infrastructure on in West Oahu, so that's to build more housing, presumably. $75 million for low-income housing development on the neighbor islands. Um, also would approve the use of 99-year uh, leasehold housing construction on Hawaii Housing and Finance Development Corporation-owned land. This is inspired by that uh, Aloha Homes Singapore-style housing bill that got a lot of attention last year that was championed by uh, State Senator Stanley Chang. Uh, so they kind of borrowed some ideas from that proposal uh, moving forward so that it would allow the construction of uh, leasehold housing, multifamily dwellings on state-owned land, um, which there was sort of some regulatory hurdles to that in the past right. this could clear the way for. Um, also lifts the cap on the conveyance tax, so the real estate tax, which lawmakers say would that revenue would be used to fund the development of more housing. Um, so uh, big stuff on, on that front. Um, Stanley Chang, uh, who, who did, he was a champion of housing in the legislature, said that this demonstrates there is a consensus amongst policymakers that there is a housing shortage and that the housing shortage is uh, tied or is a, is a uh, has created this trend of population decline that mm. we're experiencing now, three straight years of population decline statewide. And that was actually an issue that I had asked a, a few lawmakers about leading up to the session. Um, the majority leaders in both the uh, the Senate and the House, they were both 
there at the press conference, Representative Della Albaladi, uh, the House Majority Leader, is a kind of a champion of these issues. And I asked her what she thought about the population decline trend. It is absolutely concerning to me. I've had a conversation with my daughter who's a freshman at Roosevelt High School, and she told me, Mom, you think my friends and I are going to be coming back after college? I was stunned. I mean, I, I sort of knew in my, in my mind, like, oh, my, maybe my kids won't be coming back. But then to hear it come out of my daughter's mouth in that very real way, that's not acceptable to me. Uh, so I think we really have to kind of dig down into this. Now, of course, there's going to be opportunities that take our, our youth away from us, but we need to make sure that there are good jobs here that attract them back. We need to make sure that there is an affordable housing market that they can purchase into. And so that was Representative Del Albaladi, majority leader in the state House of Representatives, very much in contrast to her counterpart in the Senate, uh, Kalani English from HANA, um, I asked him the same question and got a very different response. For most old timers, when they hear there's a population decline, they, they smile, you know, because we had overpopulation, too many people. So it's really just a matter of balancing. Slight population decline may be okay, because I think we, we don't have the capabilities to handle wastewater treatment, drinking water, food supplies, transportation. We're dealing with the symptoms of overpopulation. So if our population does go down a bit, those pressures ease. And for whatever it's worth at this press conference yesterday announcing these initiatives, which uh, were kind of billed as being a response to the population decline trend, Della Avaladi was front and center. She was kind of the, the ringmaster of this large press conference. Kalani English stood in the back and, and didn't give any remarks. So that you know, take that for what you will. You know, you talk about uh, laying some of the groundwork for a future uh, and, and for what comes next. Part of that also education, a big piece of that, and early education, again, something that has been discussed uh, in sessions past, but uh, something more to be working on in this one. Yeah, uh, the governor has in the past laid out his desire to expand pre-K, early childhood education, to universal, publicly funded pre-K for four-year-olds in Hawaii, so basically an extra year of public school before kindergarten. Um, this bill moves in that direction. It would create what are being called learning centers for three and four-year-olds four within the Department of Human Services. Not a lot of details on what that means, mm. but um, noteworthy to me that they would not be part of the Department of Education, the, right. the this agency that runs our public schools. Um, it would also create a school construction authority that would take over the responsibility of building new public schools, which is currently handled by the Department of Education. Interesting on a couple of these, just that uh, Again, going into the legislative session, I know that, that there, is, uh, there is legislation attached to a lot of this particularly, but in terms of kicking off a discussion on a lot of these, these items as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably nothing in this package of bills that hasn't been talked about before, hmm. and a lot of people probably rolled their eyes when they heard some of those things because they've been talked about for right. so long, but there hasn't been much action on it. Uh, this is the first time that I can remember that there has been such a uh, broad effort right out of the gate to to pass anything, let alone this many things that are 
this viewed as this problematic by so many people. And and with that degree of specificity to uh, to start and and all of this we should point out it with the background of the economy being an area that that a presence in the session. You, Eugene Chan, as as you have mentioned, state economists told lawmakers last week in a public briefing that. Uh, our economy is going into a slow growth period. We're not in a recession yet, but that certainly seems to be on the minds of a lot of lawmakers, a softening. Yeah, that's Eugene Tian said he, he doesn't think there will be a recession in the coming year, but we are in the midst of the longest period of economic expansion on record, uh, we the United States. Uh, it's almost 130 months, which beats the previous record by quite a bit. Um, and so that means some form of recession is coming inevitably. What form that takes, we won't really know. It could be a shallow recession, as they're called, and, and not be that severe. Um, but that means it's a good time to make investments usually the, to, mm-hmm. to increase public spending, uh, to kind of help power through that recession. Uh, also, interest rates are very low right now. Money's cheap. The governor mm-hmm. has cited that as being a big reason for why he wants to make some of these investments now. The state has a, a very good bond rating at the moment, so it's, it's cheap for government to borrow money to fund these types of big infrastructure programs that... Uh, are needed to address the housing shortage, uh, to build new schools, to to do things like that. And a lot of these aimed at a time in a potential economic slowdown or even a slower growth period, which is likely to hit the most vulnerable the hardest. And in Hawaii in particular, that can be a sharp drop. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, and and directly tying to that, um, Norm Baker, who's the president of the Aloha United Way mentioned he was at this press conference yesterday, and he mentioned that during the last recession, which, as we know, is a very severe one, 28,000 local families fell from financial stability into what is known as ALICE, Asset Limited Income Constrained, which means you don't necessarily have a valuable property like a home, and you have low income. and. And, and the E on that, employed, you're still working. And you're still working. I mean, working, that's the, right. the, working, uh, yeah, the working struggle on that. And, and uh, yeah, and he said 47% of, of the population in Hawaii is paycheck to paycheck or below the poverty line. And a lot of them fell there at, during the last recession and have yet to recover 10 years later. So that idea of a downturn is definitely on the minds of, of everyone at the Capitol. Uh, worth noting that most recessions are not nearly as severe as the one in 2009, so it's unlikely to be that severe, that bad. But everyone's looking at what we can do to prepare for this short-term downturn that we know will come, but also strengthen the underlying fundamentals of Hawaii's economy by investing in education and infrastructure to make it stronger and more appealing to workers going forward. Some caution on the economy, but also a little package of legislation to start things off. Ryan Finnerty is going to be covering the entire legislative session uh, for us uh, here at Hawaii Public Radio. Ryan, thanks for uh, briefing us ahead of time. My pleasure, Bill.
This is The Conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Coming up, your backyard quiz. In today's Backyard Quiz, we're asking you a civics question. As you've been hearing this morning, this is the first day of the 2020 legislature. And from now until May 7th, elected lawmakers will meet at the open-roofed Capitol building on King and Richard Streets to address some of our state's most pressing issues. If the past is a reliable guide, a few thousand bills and resolutions will be introduced after public testimony and other committee work and consideration by both the House and the Senate. A much smaller number will make it to the governor to be signed into law. There are 25 seats in the Senate, 51 in the House. They all represent different districts around the state, of course. But here's the question. How many years did these representatives and senators have to live in the state to run for office? Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. First one to get it right gets our reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from the Realtors and staff of Locations, proudly supporting HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawaii's people and places. Locations, welcome home. Apart from the opening of the state legislature in Honolulu and the next stage of the impeachment process in Washington, D.C., there are other political developments, believe it or not, to tell you about. And some of them come from the Pew Research Center by way of our political analyst, Neil Milner, who's uh, here with the long view. And Neil, you've been taking a longer view of a lot of work that's been being done by this group. Yeah, I've done a, a show about this, uh, on this on this show a few times, the end of the year the Pew Research Center, which is an enormous and a very reputable research that does all kinds of research, a lot of its surveys around the world and in the United States alone, uh, does uh, kind of what they see as the significant findings that they've had during the year. So the gimmick hmm. is in 17, there were 17 findings, 2018, now it's 2019. And I took a look at them because they really suggest some of the bigger themes, some of the interesting findings, and, and can really give you an opportunity to talk more broadly about politics that doesn't involve the everyday kind of stuff about the the uh, presidential primaries and so on. Right. So so I looked at it and, and divided it into some themes to talk about. And it turns out that the same themes that were important in 2018 are important in, the two, in 2019 in different ways, but still. One is demography, the second is the media, and the third is polarization. And so um, you uh, took a look at each one of those and, and put some things together to see what they showed. 
And the demographics, I mean, and that's such an important sort of phrase we just heard in terms of in the context of Hawaii, the, the impact of population decline and, and longer term uh, aspects of that. But in the, in the body politic nationally, uh, demographics shifting, continuing on trends, but also the pace is picking up. Again. Yes, the pace is picking up. And uh, demography is really very important because in, in many important ways, it's tied into the polarization issue. Hmm. So what, what they found, what they found that was significant was the fact that Hispanics have now become the leading uh, uh, minority group, uh, more so than African Americans. This has been true, and this has changed the politics in certain cities already, like Los Angeles, for example. And then on the one hand, you find that this that the country is much more diverse, and it's getting more diverse. It it has a very very high percentage compared to historically of the percentage of foreign born here. Um, it's it's going to it's gradually turning into a majority minority. Uh, country where the where white people won't be in the majority anymore. Those are d- demographic facts. They're trends. They're not likely to change. But then you look at things that are being done to some extent in reaction to that. One of which is that we're now taking much fewer refugees than we did before. We don't come anywhere close to leading the the country in in taking in refugees. Canada takes hmm. takes more than we do. Um, there are now fewer people coming from Mexico, and most of the people who cross illegally are not Mexicans anymore. They're from uh, from other countries. Yeah, so you yeah. have all of that, all of that activity going on, which of course is frightening to a lot of people, including a lot of people who are Trump supporters. And we can get back to that when we talk about the polarization thing, which on the surface is definitely about race, as we'll see. And that's what uh, that's what they find you find significant. But it ties into other things. The media one is kind of interesting and a little sad, a little funny and a little simple. Uh, it shows, first of all, that newspaper circulation is the lowest that it's been, at least since 1940 and, and ever. The idea that the family gets a newspaper or two, reads it at the table, and then someone else reads it, that's pretty much gone. And that, then that's certainly, again, a continuation of a trend that's been going yeah, on. Exactly. Sure. And, and uh, <laughs> what's interesting, and, has, and there's another thing I'll get to that's uh, part of the trend, but a very high percentage of people think that the media is doing quite well. They don't mean quite well in terms of quality, because in fact the media is not very well trusted. They just mean, yeah, they're doing well. They're they're surviving. They're doing pretty well. Only 14 percent of the people in these surveys say that they actually pay for media. So and, and yeah. the media and and that's they particularly draw the line in terms of local. Media, yes, local right? media. Because media has, has come to become, you know, an epithet in, in some circles. That's right. And, and also just a very divisive label in others. Yes, and, and ironically, the media that would be more likely to be trusted by mm. people is local media. And local media has d- gradually dissipated. The number of local newspapers has dissipated. This research shows this has very profound effects on the body politic. They know less about the cities and politicians get get away with more. And what is happening with local media is that on the surface, we're talking local newspapers here, Mm -hmm. a lot of the local newspapers have become homogenized. Their big companies have bought these newspapers. They're they're just essentially satellites for um, 
a kind of homogenizing news. It's not so much covering this, the city council or anything it's, like it's that. It's almost done on a model. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. City to city. And, uh, uh, that's yeah. exactly right. There's there's a business model out there, and it's frequently tied into conservative politics because uh, there's some of these media organizations that have bought in. These conglomerates are, are conservative. So that's the kind of ferment there. The, the polarization one is interesting because it shows what people really should realize and have trouble realizing, which is that race and attitudes toward African Americans is the biggest um, difference between in, in partisanship right now. The question was, do you think that, uh, to what extent do you think that slavery still has an impact on African Americans? There is a huge difference between blacks and whites on that question, and there's virtually just as big a difference between Democrats and Republicans. And what we've begun to discover in other research is that not only is race a the most salient factor in politics now, but that all other things being equal, this is in some recent uh, stuff, a very interesting body of research, all other things being equal, the sense that you identify with a white as white affects your political choices more than anything else. So you control for party and everything else. So what you see here in this difference in attitudes toward uh, the impact of the continuing impact of the of slavery. Sorry. This is not a new finding, really. It's just kind of uh, become more salient now. Is part of a broader question about uh, white identity and how that ties into partisan politics and how that contributes uh, very strongly to the difference between people who vote Republican and people who vote Democrat. And just to uh, underline with some specificity on that of the, the influence, uh, whether you think slavery continues to have an impact on, on black Americans today, uh, for Republicans saying it, it has a great impact, 17 percent Republican or Republican mm-hmm. leaning. Democrats are Democrat leaning 43 percent. Sure, sure. And and that's uh, matching up white is 26 percent and black is 59 percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it, it gets more complicated if you try to see how much whiteness is more important than, than, uh, than party identification. And as I say, there is some evidence that your white identity, how much you see mm. yourself as uh, the, your whiteness is being important. Those are the sorts of things that people don't like to recognize as being as important than they are as in politics. Because it's uncomfortable to talk Well, about it is uncomfortable, and be- it's really not so much a part of our imaginary, and I don't think the media does a very good job mm. of, of keeping that alive. They'll, they'll talk about it, but there's so much discussion about the present, about the political uh, situation in a normal sense, what what the politicians, what the Democratic candidates are talking about. Yeah. What I sometimes think of is the bright, shiny object uh, syndrome of something that's going to 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 sort of come up and dominate. Uh, yes, the, that's that right. Discussion. And and it's hard to find. I mean, frankly, it's one of the reasons that I look for things to talk about on this show that transcend the sort of everyday because you have to always remember how much those transcending things really do affect the everyday politics and how much more stable they are than what Elizabeth Warren or or any other candidate for president says on any given day. And that's, as you said, tracking this over time, you see those developing 
into to trends. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and for sure, uh, this is an important trend that has been around for a long time, but I think is going to become even more visible because of the difference in the political parties. Remember, the, Amer- the Democratic Party is, is ethnically and racially diverse. The Republican Party is essentially a white person's party right now. That's how, that's how they vote. And so that's not going away, and it's going to reinforce some of these other polarization issues. Neil Milner, thanks for uh, coming along, as always, and bringing perspective. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Neil Milner, a retired professor of political science who joins us as a contributing editor with his segment, The Long View. Maui, Lanai, and Molokai. HPR has a new signal serving your area and it's now live. Tune in to 103.1 KJHF for HPR One's news, talk, and a variety of music programming. Everything from morning edition to evening jazz. Loud and clear 24 7. That's 103.1 KJHF in Kuala Pu'u, broadcasting HPR One to West Maui and beyond. I'm Bert Lum. Today on Bite Mars Cafe, we'll find out about East Meets West, one of Hawaii's premier tech startup conferences. East Meets West brings investors and entrepreneurs from both sides of the Pacific, from Asia, Hawaii, and North America, to network and build the tech ecosystem. That's today at 6.30 p.m. on Bite Mars Cafe. We've been spending a lot of time over the last couple of weeks at HPR looking at garbage, landfills, recycling, some other issues. You can find our series Trashing the Islands online at hawaiipublicradio.org or by way of our app at Hawaii Public Radio. We sent reporters to every major island, and as they've been looking at waste disposal, a common theme that's a big part of the story is also waste creation, what makes trash in the first place, and that takes you back to waste reduction and recycling which goes beyond just tossing your beer can in a blue bin. HPR's Casey Harlow spent some time on Maui recently, and here's some of what he found. So um, I'm just taking you to the northwest corner of the site just to give you an idea of scale. Hawaii Materials Recycling takes up 10 acres next to Pi'ilani Highway in Kihei. Co-owner Pete Sullivan shows me how his operation reuses construction waste and materials. We drive around several large piles filled with concrete, asphalt, and rubble. All of this stuff that you see had the potential to basically go one of three places. It could go to another construction site if someone had it to go to. It could go to the landfill, or it could be fugitively dumped. And that's very common here. Hawaii Materials Recycling opened two years after the construction and demolition landfill in Ma'alaya closed in 2016. Building and demolition debris make up 14% of the waste now going into the central Maui landfill, the island's major landfill. Sullivan's company takes this construction waste and crushes it to create materials that he can sell to contractors. 
Sullivan's company allows contractors to drop off certain types of waste, such as asphalt, and pick up new road-based material in one round trip. And that, he says, is highly valuable. For the consumer, it just saves them tens of millions of dollars. This is avoided either in building a landfill cost, in trucking, in road wear and tear, it's fuel, it's emissions, it's the whole bit. Meanwhile, on a farm near Waikapu, I meet Kiara Ryan of the Maui Huliao Foundation. The nonprofit started 10 years ago to educate Maui's children about the environment. Three years ago, it added a trash diversion program called Green Events, working with organizers of conferences and other events to reduce their waste. Ryan is the foundation's program director. We do this by diverting as much of the waste from the landfill as possible. And we can do this through reusing things like cups, utensils, even reusing plates. And then second down the line that's most important is composting. So finding out in the event how much can we compost. Ryan says her group also helps the hosts purchase the right green materials and attends the event to help participants sort their garbage. So the kind of main purpose of this program is to help the community, help the businesses, help individuals see waste as a resource rather than as waste. Our average diversion is 80%. So 80% does not go to the landfill. It's used for compost or as recycled or as reused. But Ryan says their mission goes beyond their work of diversion. Our goal is to educate. And so in hopes that we keep doing these events, we get people adjusted and used to the process of diverting their waste from the landfill. And therefore, eventually, this is just going to be the norm. The foundation's got a new program it's developing, working with local schools to teach students how to separate and reduce their trash, in hopes of educating the next generation about the advantages of both. And Casey Harley joins us now with more on his story. Casey, we heard a couple of familiar themes in there, education and community, and that's something that, that you seem to hear elsewhere as well. Yes, um, actually, uh, the Surfrider Foundation, I got in contact with uh, Tim Lara of the Surfrider Foundation, and he actually pointed me to a bunch of uh, different efforts and community organizations that are going on in Maui right now. And a lot of uh, things that are in the pipe, um, I guess that they're going to be working out as well. But education seems to be the common theme of a lot of the recycling efforts and the reusing and the reduction, waste reduction efforts that are going down in Maui County as well. Um, I mean, one of the organizations that Tim told me about uh, is currently working with schools uh, and they're planning on giving out water bottles to uh, students and having these uh, different water fountains, like the ones that you see at airports where mm. you can put it underneath right, and then right. like it fills up. Mm -hmm. So they're planning on uh, maybe doing something about, um, you know, just giving out water bottles uh, to students and then having them just get their water that way and they can carry it all along with them during school, after school, things like that. They're also going to be, um, the Surfrider Foundation is also in the plant in working on getting reusable water bottles into vacation rentals and into hotel rooms. And I was, I sat down with him one morning uh, at a coffee shop in Wailuku and excuse, excuse the uh, background noise, but it's a typical coffee shop. And he told me this. Coming up this year, we'll be looking at ways to minimize the use of plastic water bottles from our visitor industry. So trying to get the messaging out to them before they come and work with vacation rentals properties to have reusable 
water bottles in their units as well as a, a filter on the tap and encourage them to do that instead. And that's something that nationwide more hotels have been taking you know, lead role in. So if we can get some hotels to do that here as well, that'd be great. And another thing that he pointed out is that um, Maui and Hawaii in general aren't general aren't at the forefront of these efforts. I mean, you see these things, mm. uh, these programs happening on the West Coast, the East Coast, even in the Midwest. And so he's hoping that, you know, bringing these ideas to Hawaii and Maui County will further the efforts as well. And I mean, it goes uh, way beyond uh, just the reusable water bottles as well. It's also about, and the visitor industry as well, it's also about uh, residents and everyday activities, and he had this to say as well. Small changes make huge impacts. If everybody stopped drinking water out of plastic water bottles, that is a huge impact right there. There's no reason in today's world that you should be drinking out of a plastic water bottle or a to-go cup from your coffee shop, right? Get a reusable coffee cup. You know you're gonna drink coffee every day. Put it in a reusable cup, wash it, get a couple of them, right? Same thing with your stainless steel water bottle. There's literally no excuse for that. And the small changes that we all take individually will have huge impacts when you're looking at a million people doing it, right? And this also is echoed by Maui County as well. Uh, they have a division that is also uh, handing out uh, reusable bags, um, reusable utensil sets, and water bottles at uh, community events, community um yeah, county fairs, uh, things like that. And uh, the county is also pursuing that, and that was in my first piece as well. But mm -hmm. it seems kind of like when you go hand in hand with what the county's efforts and the community's efforts, uh, it seems like it's going to uh, hopefully make a big difference. And that idea, as he was talking about, of small changes and in incrementally and getting broader participation in that of, of a realization, it really does seem to start with that education and then moving on to making use of that education and uh, visitor industry yeah big part of that yeah exactly and he also mentioned that you know when you make things easy for people like if you just don't give them a choice or if you give yes. them like uh two very clear choices uh they will do the one that will probably be uh the moral good you mm. know what will ultimately the, be the best option but it sure doesn't hurt to uh, help folks along. Yeah, along exactly. If you don't give them a choice, they're going to do it. Encouraging that shift in consumer behavior. All right. Casey Harlow, thank you. Thank you. You can find uh, Casey's uh, latest stories on trash in our whole series, uh, Trashing the Islands, online at hawaiipublicradio.org. Take my hand, precious Lord. 
the favorite song of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. I'm Seth Marco. Please join me Sunday from 8 to 10 p.m. for The Real Deal as we listen to a musical prayer for peace, love, and understanding. At the Hawaii State Legislature, our elected officials will spend the next 60 working days on potential legislation addressing some of the state's big issues. There are 25 members in the Senate, 51 in the House. Most are Democrats. There's one Republican senator, five Republican representatives. No other political parties represented. In order to run for office, they must meet three requirements. One, they must be 18 years old. Two, they must be qualified voters in their district before seeking office. And three, they must have lived in the state for at least three years. That was our news quiz today. We have no winner. By the way, if you're looking for the chief executive's job, you'll have to have been in the state a little longer. In order to run for governor, a candidate must have lived in Hawaii for at least five years. That was our quiz today. If you have one, you can send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. mentioned earlier, we've been talking about trash for a couple of weeks now here at HPR. And as I said, when we kicked off this series, this really is a follow-up to something we started about five years ago. That's when we first took a look around the islands to see where we were with our landfills, our municipal solid waste, and with our planning for the future. Joining me for a little perspective on all of this is one of the reporters who took a deep dive into this topic five years ago, <laughs> Noe Tanigawa. Oh, there are so many punny-type things we can do with this Well, you know, topic. here we are nearly five years later, and some parts of this story have changed. We have seen some adjustments, but others uh, others have not. But there have been some changes, and, and you've seen that in, in your reporting. I know. I've been so interested in our series, and, I, and a lot of people have been across the state. Thank you so much for your interest. But it was that first Zero Waste Conference that opened my eyes. It happened over there in Hilo, as you say, 2015, five years, I mean, in Kona five mm. years ago. And there were several people there from Maui, several from Kauai, of course, several from Big Island, only one from Oahu. And when I really wanted to know that that was not an indication of the interest from, mm. <laughs> from these islands, of course. I mean, and there was Ruth Abbey there, president of Zero Waste USA, the president of Zero Waste International was there, Captain Charles Moore, who discovered the Pacific garbage. But all these people have so much interest in how Hawaii solves these problems. They have great hope f for us here because obviously living on islands, the idea of throwing something away. Mm. Limited space. It doesn't really exist. Mm. You know, it doesn't really exist. In fact, it's kind of an abdication of responsibility to think you can just toss something over your shoulder and it disappears. Uh, and But that whole thing is kind of a reversal of thinking, right? My gosh, I can't throw anything all away. The whole idea of reversing our thinking about waste 
It's happening. And I was talking with Raphael Bergstrom, Executive Director of Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii. He's been working with city managers on Honolulu's Integrated Solid Waste Management Plan update. Okay, this is really deep into it, up to the elbows. He says they were slogging along for months. And then one day, they took a whole different kind of preemptive view of the problem. Specifically, one of the city employees who has been working in waste for years mentioned that their job, as it was told to them for decades, has been, how do you get rid of waste at the end of the line? That was their job. He explained that and he said, it's clicking for us. Source reduction, waste reduction. Wait, we don't have to work on getting rid of waste at the end. And this is moving up the higher ups of the city now is we can work on getting rid of it before it starts. And save taxpayers lots of money from not needing to fund constant retrofits and expansions of really expensive waste infrastructure. There's so much benefit from dealing with less stuff in the first place. Yeah, and people are starting to see the light. That's Nicole Chatterson of Zero Waste Oahu. And, you know, we've been talking about all of how people have been handling things on the various islands. I mean, Zero Waste Maui just got a $10,000 grant from the county, and they're having a big launch next week on the 23rd. Kauai really understands waste management. They got a new crew. They're working on Zero Waste Kauai, and uh, they're planning on ramping up their activities there also. One of, one of the lines that I recall from someone from Zero Waste, and forgive me, I forget which island it was, but that idea similarly to what we just heard from, from Maui, which is the idea of a lot of small steps. Because sometimes you look at problems in life and sometimes people will walk away and say, oh, my gosh, that's too much. <laughs> we so can't right. deal with that. And the, the answer, and, and zero waste, yes, overall waste reduction, but small steps exactly. along the way. Exactly. And we're finding out that the most specific, most local um, approaches tend to be the most effective. Mm. And that's a really fun thing to kind of find out. I mean, um, here on Oahu, Honolulu's chief resilience officer, Josh Stambro, called this Bill 40 that was just passed here last December. He called it the most ambitious, comprehensive plastics ban in the country. And that shows that here on Oahu, we're understanding that uh, we're serious about waste. The council members are serious about waste. And what that translates to is that green technologies, new ideas, come on, we got a home for you here in Hawaii. Now, look, the second statewide zero waste conference set for March, okay? We're looking at what some next steps might be to handling waste. Here's Bergstrom on those next steps because there might be some people out there who are listening to this and they say I already bring my own bag I already bring my own water mm-hmm. bottle how do I help transition our whole society and I would say political advocacy and civic engagement is something that we've neglected for decades now and have let special interests take the power away from us and so if you are on that level where you're ready to use your voice in a new way There's so many opportunities from your local neighborhood board to the city council to the state legislature all the way up to the the federal level is there's ways to use your voice and there's ways to get into that governance side of things and and help create policy and not be afraid of it. Ultimately, we are the boss of our legislatures, but we have stopped asking them to answer to us. They answer to the plastics industry because not enough of us are showing up. Sometimes we can't be perfect because the options aren't even there to be perfect. 
we need policy to come in sometimes and control the system in a way that's effective for all of us to make these really positive changes. That happens when we stand up and collectively work on it together. What do you think about that, Bill? I think that winding up on the point of civic engagement on the day that the state legislature opens is mm-hmm. appropriate. Um, <laughs> you know, b- because again, that idea that getting beyond powerlessness in, mm-hmm. and whether that's with trash, whether that's mm-hmm. with any issue that touches your life, getting beyond that idea of, oh, it's too big, I can't do anything about it, countering that is a powerful force. It is. Uh, Complexity doesn't have to scare us off, for sure. And it is a complex issue. Again, (laughs) as as we, over the last two weeks, have have gone in, and in some ways, we we took two weeks on this, and in some ways, we're still just scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. And we know, we appreciate, by the way, hearing from a lot of folks saying, you should take a look at this, and you should take a look at that. And and we will, but again, it's an indication these are not simple, but um, but they do require discussion, elucidation, and uh, and and action ultimately. Well, from this series, I'm I'm knowing that people across the state really care, and they really have been doing what they can about it. There's a little bit more ahead, and regarding the legislature, I'm super excited about the people we have covering it this year: Ryan Finnerty, Ashley Mizuo, Casey Harlow, Kuvehi Hiraishi. I mean, I hope that people will make use of us and let us know through that talkback line or however what it is you want to know during this session. That talkback line number, by the way, is seven nine two eight. Put an 808 in front of that and let us know what you want to learn about this session. You know, speaking of which, I'm going to give one quick plug for the public access room, too, at the yeah. uh, at the legislature, because really they're uh, on the way to becoming an, a civically engaged citizen. They can uh, they can help out so much. Noe, thanks so much thank for you. coming along. And thank you for joining us on The Conversation. That is the program for today. Tune in tomorrow for a call-in show on independent education for Hawaii's keiki. Sitting down with leaders of the Hawaii Association of Independent Schools. You can tell us what you think, suggest a story idea, talk to us about trash. As Noe said, you can call our talkback line, leave your comments. Here's the number. 808-792-8217. You can email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Find us on Facebook at The Conversation HPR, Twitter at HI Conversation. This show and all the past ones are available on the Conversation page at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Bill Dorman. Catherine Cruz will be back tomorrow with more of The Conversation.